You are listening to the episode 8 of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. your host and I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. Are you at the point in life where you are looking for more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and lead a movement to change the world? Let's have a chat. Go to www.francinebelli.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash podcast and click on request a call button for more information. Today I'm discussing with Akhtar Batchash, an expert in social impact, philanthropy, CSR and international development, but also an author and an artist. Akhtar also teaches at the University of Washington School of Business and Evans School of Public Policy and Governance. He was the Senior Director of Microsoft Citizenship and Public Affairs. This conversation, as you'll find out, is very different from my previous conversations. It is a unique, contrarian and refreshing, sometimes hilarious, but profoundly deep conversation. Akta doesn't do things like others and prefers to live an unstructured life. Um, so he explains how he managed his multifaceted life, how he became a philanthropist after a high-flying career. And you'll also discover, as he's a teacher, uh, the six C's that you can apply in any situation to live a successful life. So you will also learn his unique take on passion versus compassion, how after a childhood in a middle-class India, he moved out of the country and the circumstances that shaped his vision of the world. So Akhtar believes that we should be unreasonable in life, but also a learner. So I'm so excited about bringing you this conversation, but also I'd like to apologize for the quality of the recording uh, because I was traveling and I had issues with my network, um, but I was determined to really record this conversation as I was fortunate to get hold of him. So now sit down, relax, and really pay attention to this groundbreaking conversation. Let's dive in. So, Akhtar, thank you for being on the show today. I'm great, and thank you very much, Francine, for inviting me. It's uh, my pleasure. So you have so many hats, and you pride yourself on bringing all of them together. Why? So... I, you are you are one individual, and each of us has multiple personalities yeah. within ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So we are a person 
we have multiple interests, we are a spouse, we are a parent, we are sons and daughters, and we can't really switch on and off what we want to be, right? So, but somehow work forces us to do that, mm. that when we are at work, we should not be a parent. And when we are, you know, somewhere else, we should not be an artist. But that's not how you are wired. So if we can learn to bring all of ourselves into everything that we do, then I think we are bringing a full being into our work, our life, our friendship. So I feel that it is important for us not to compartmentalize ourselves and embrace the diversity that we are as people and thrive in it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. But tell me how you are able to do all those things together when you are a busy person. How do you manage to do all those things? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it, it looks like we manage to do it, but we don't. Because there are always some trade-offs. Um, at the end of the day, time becomes critical. But I think that if you are focused, if you are driven, you can, you know, manage to do do that. Now, I don't claim to have been a great parent, nor do I claim to be the expert on everything. But, you know, if we enjoy doing what we are doing, then we land up, you know, finding time. Now, I am right now totally engrossed in my teaching. And... I have three classes that I teach. It doesn't give me any time to do anything else. But, and that's okay. You know, there will be few months where you are completely engrossed in something. And then there are other times where you can engage in multiple things. But even while I am, you know, teaching, on Saturday afternoon, there was a gala that one of my students had organized She does, her nonprofit is called Mission Africa. She works in 10 countries in Africa. She's from Nigeria, you know, and she was doing a fundraising gala and she wanted me to come and speak as a keynote speaker, which I did. So I think you can do, you just have to make time. Yeah. I mean, you just have to figure out where your priorities are. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it comes easy, but... You know, you, you enjoy it. Yeah. You enjoy it, you do it. So tell me, yeah, so uh, talking about enjoyment, how have you become interested in social impact and philanthropy? Well, I mean, I think that this just happened by chance, right? I mean, I didn't go planning to be doing work in social impact and philanthropy. Yet, when I was in India and as a young person, I was you know, volunteering and giving back and doing things. I went to study architecture and, you know, with architecture is a very interesting field. Mm -hmm. You get exposed to a lot of, you clearly get exposed to the community because you go into the community, you work with them, you think with them, you draw, you design. And 
it allows, it opens your mind to lots of different possibilities. It's also a technical field because you have to build buildings and you have to make sure they stand. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand structure, mechanics, all of those things. So you are in some form or the other engaged with communities. And as you start thinking more about what they need, you start discovering that there is more than just designing a building. And that led me to work with nonprofit organizations and eventually come and run Microsoft's corporate philanthropy. And within that space in the late 1990s and early 2000s, you know, we were all worrying about the growing digital divide and how we needed to figure out a different way of bringing technology into the hands of the poor mm. so that they could become economically empowered and use these technologies to create economic and social well-being. And the folks that were at the forefront of doing that were entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, people in the community who were trying to figure out how best to use this technology. So whether it was, you know, people using phones to send money across or figuring out different ways in which rural artisans could sell their wares on the internet or telemedicine or education using mobile or computers. So so that's how I started getting interested in the space Mm -hmm. of you know, entrepreneurs who were looking at social impact as their lens rather than financial impact. Yeah, okay, good. So now let's talk about meaningful work and meaningful life. What is your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life? Well, I mean, I don't know whether I have a definition per Mm. se, but I think, you know, all work is meaningful. Everything that you do has to be meaningful. It can't be that cleaning a bathroom is not meaningful. It can't be that, you know, serving food is not meaningful. So everybody, you know, whatever they do, if for them it is meaningful, then they will do it well. And so, so the notion becomes, I always tell my students, my students always think, you know, I'm trying to figure out where I want to go work, what do I want to do, what is the right job for me? And I'm essentially saying, go work. Just find meaning in whatever you do. It might be the most boring job. You can make it the most fun if you apply yourself. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to do it. So, so how do you create meaning out of what you do? And I think that same approach is also in life. Do you enjoy living or you don't enjoy living? I, I mean, I'm a curmudgeon, right? I mean, I complain all the time. <laughs> but I enjoy my complaining. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I'm complaining just because I want to complain. <laughs> it's not because I, I am gross or not enjoying my being on earth. So I think that if you figure out a way that says, I'm, again, bringing my full self I know I have something meaningful to contribute and whatever that may be. If you're serving coffee, serve the best coffee. Enjoy serving the coffee. So so I think that's the... So, so I know that so many of the questions that I got from people after that, I had to sit down and respond to a lot of them, is everybody helped to raise money, everybody wants to figure out how they can do well. You know, one of the ladies said, 
I want to be like you when I grow up. I said, you know, no, you can be like me. You can be like yourself today. You don't have to wait for five years to become that. Yeah. You can seize the moment right now. You don't have to wait for something to change. And I understand that there are all sorts of challenges people have. Mm -hmm. There are financial challenges. There are health challenges. There are family challenges. There are emergency. And it is easy to say this is not the right time. But every time is the right time. It's never the right time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's not no no time is the right time. You just have to go, right? <laughs> yeah. That, tell me, there is also something that you say that I want really to get your perspective on. The common advice generally say follow your passion. But one thing that I've heard you say last time, and I really want you to elaborate on this, is I don't care about your passion, but more about your compassion. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, so, I mean, of course, look, everybody has passion or <laughs> should have passion. Yeah. But I think what what gets lost in in this mm -hmm. is when I was at Microsoft, and even today, I mean, people come up to me and say, you know, I have a passion to make change. <laughs> so I want to come and work for you. Mm. And I'm saying, you have passion to make change. Why do you need me? Just go make change. You don't need me. Right? I mean, what change could just be going on Sunday and volunteering at the homeless shelter. Nobody's stopping you from doing it except yourself. <laughs> so passion shouldn't become your driver. I mean, passion is what gives you the... I mean, you should be passion, passionate about everything that you do, right? So yeah. that's the point I'm trying to make. Hey, if you're a barista, be passionate about serving coffee or don't be a barista. But if you're just passionate about serving coffee... And if you don't know how to make coffee, well, what's going to happen? Right? So passion can only take you so far. Yeah. After that, you've got to start learning skills. Yeah. And learning skills is, in my mind, more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. So which is why I kind of come back to, you know, what skills do you have? And which is why I kind of come into this notion of you know whether you have passion or not yeah. and whether you are actually going to have compassion right mm -hmm. and I feel that one needs to kind of think through that as to what does that look like yeah so then compassion obviously is about you know others right so passionate but about self and then compassion is about others and so you can't just make your own passion um you know and impose that onto other people you also have to listen to what other so, people need right you know, you know a few thoughts mm. just few additional thoughts to, to this right mm. so i look at it from the perspective of you know once you've decided to do something you then have to have conviction Right, which is that there is a belief in your idea. Then once you have belief in your ideas, then you have to have the capability and the right skills to be able to execute on that. Right? I might want to be a brain surgeon, but if I cannot operate, there is no way I'm going to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> right? So having a passion to say, I want to help sick people, but I don't want to help a doctor doesn't take you anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. No. So once you got a so if you take let's take our social entrepreneurs, let's take our entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What does it take them to be successful? First, they they've got to have conviction. They've got to have a belief in their idea. But that belief in their idea may be nothing because I can have thousand ideas in a minute, and it doesn't take me anywhere. But once you've got a belief in your idea, then you have to build your capability. and you have to build yourself into the right skills that are required then you have to have the capacity which is the ability to put into practice what you are convinced about so it's conviction it's capability it's capacity then it's commitment which is you have the strength to stay the course there will always be failures but do you have the ability to pick yourself up and move to the next level so you need to have commitment and then do you have compassion compassion is about going beyond yourself right it not just you so it's conviction whether you actually have a belief you have to be creative you have to come up with an idea you have to have the capability the skills needed you have the capacity to be able to execute on it so you need the right team you've got to surround yourself with the right people you have to have the commitment so you can continue to go with it and then you have to have the compassion to be able to see that this is going to have a much larger impact than just yourself so i talk about the six c's for entrepreneurs and not passion so when i say don't have passion yep i'm not saying that is not important but i think one needs to for anybody it is the six c's to me that are more important than passion okay can you spell those six c's again yes so conviction yep first is conviction mhm second is creativity okay third is capability fourth capacity fifth is commitment and sixth is compassion Okay, wow. That's a brilliant model. So at the end of the uh, episode you're going to give us some resources where we're going to find all these things to apply that actually. And it also work for anybody who is also working in a in a corporate. So it's not just for entrepreneurs. So this is also applicable to anybody. Just a way of life. Yeah. When you think about it just logically, that's what it is, mm-hmm. right? Hey, I have an idea I have to then design that idea. I got to execute on that idea. I got to have the capacity to keep on with that idea, and I want to make sure that this, you know, is just not self-gratifying, but it actually makes you. So tell me now, um, when did you realize who you are and what you're meant to do in life? If if such a thing does happen. <laughs> Mm. Now, you know, but I went and did other stuff. 
Do you think people analyze too much, trying to think who they are and what they are meant to do in life, and then they waste perhaps some time? I, I, I mean, I don't want to. I, I, I don't know whether people are. But these are my principles, right? There are people who are very deliberate and methodical, yeah. and for them, they have to be very structured. For others, it's laissez faire. I'll take it as it comes. I wake up in the morning and somebody points me in a different direction. I'll go there. This is a brilliant uh, insight, uh, you know, to have actually is, yeah, you know, if you are a structured person and for you it's important to know what you're doing, fine. You know, if you are not, it's also fine to just move along and then, you know, uh, find meaning as you go, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a very great insight. So now looking back, um, you know, what is one of your toughest moments perhaps you've encountered in life that ended up being a blessing in disguise? I mean, you know, I've made I've had to make some tough decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just I mean, I was doing well in India. I had a great opportunity in the early you know, 1980 to go to Saudi Arabia to work on a project. Don't pay me a lot of money, at least for that time. And I decided to come to MIT to study instead. And everybody said, you know, you already studied for six years, you spent all this time, you've got a great opportunity, go make money. <laughs> you know, financial support, you know, everybody is going to the Middle East, you're getting a job there, go. Instead, I came to the US, <laughs> which I thought was a very good decision, right? Um, I was studying at, I mean, I got at MIT, I got an opportunity to work for a non-profit, I left that to go do that. And then somebody pointed me in the direction of the digital divide and I got enamored by that. <laughs> I left my job and now I'm teaching. And like I said, I mean, I, I, I enjoy what I do. I was loving what I'm doing at Microsoft and I could have still been there and I could have done the exact same thing day in and day out. And... I would have continued to do well and make a huge difference. But, you know, now I do something very different. And, but I had to give up a lot to, to teach, you know, financial security. And, and, but, so, so I'm not sure that there are these very definite moments that you can sit and say, I was in this dark room and suddenly somebody opened the door and the light came in. <laughs> I mean, these are just gradual things that happen. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. So now, when you look back at your childhood, how would you say that it has prepared you to be who you are today and the way that you, you know, frame your your way of thinking or life? I, I, I don't look back. You don't, you don't look <laughs> I, I, no, I, zero, zero. I mean, I, I had a regular childhood. Yeah. Like a kid. I mean, I grew up in middle class India, you know, with all the struggles and greatness that comes with living in middle class India. Mm. And, you know, 
lack of money, no money, opportunity, yes, there, no, on the street, not on the street. I don't think there was anything definite. I didn't have any, some great mentor or somebody took me under their wing or none of that. I mean, just the uh, regular life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is no suddenly that, you know, oh, my parents were so determined that I would be doing this. Mm. Or we had a family where everybody woke up in the morning every day and went to volunteer. It was just a regular home where people, you know, when people say, you know, my kids, how have you raised your kids so well? well I haven't raised them at all. My <laughs> wife raised them more than But more than anything else, you just give them the freedom to do what they want and find them for whether they succeed or fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. So what would you say is your superpower? Do you have any superpower? I mean, I think, you know, what I do best, mm. which is why, you know, even my firm is called Catalytic Innovators Group, is I'm a catalyst. I like to, you know, ignite reactions and chemical reactions. I like to shape people's minds. I like to shake them up. I like to and that's what I do right that's what philanthropy allows you to do that's what teaching allows you to do that's what in a non-profit you know I'm a catalyst and I'm a connector that's great so for anybody listening who doesn't have a meaningful work or doesn't find any meaning in their life how can they perhaps transition to really find meaning in what they are doing so, so I, mean, I would flip that question. Look, hmm. whatever you do, you better start finding meaning in what you do. How do you do that? <laughs> how, how, how do you finally decide, okay, today I'm going to start to find meaning? How do you, how do you go you about doing it? I mean, that's just who you need to be. You just don't decide. You Either you apply yourself or you don't apply yourself. Because, I mean, I like people who have come and worked for me and were very unhappy because they're always looking for something else. Right, so if you're constantly looking to do something different, you're never going to be happy. But if you're, so which is what I'm saying, you know, how do you one day decide I've got meaningful work? What is meaningful work? I have no idea. You know, going and standing, running a non-profit, is that meaningful work for, for it's a painful job. Mm. you got to beg for money all the time. <laughs> it's not fun. Mm. Right, but for some people it is a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is what you decide right. the meaning should be for you actually? Right. So I mean, you know, you gotta sit at the back of the plane. You gotta travel all the time. You gotta go to villages. You gotta live in these. So and and then on the flip side, if you are a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you know, you are under tremendous pressure. I mean, if you are, you know, you gotta. Make sure that your company is generating hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars in revenue. And if you miss, you probably get fired. So, so meaning in life comes through you. There's mm. no job that suddenly says, oh, this is the best job I have. I, I can complain about teaching. I've got, I've got 80 papers that came in over the weekend. I've got to sit and read all of them. Yeah, I love and it. some are great papers and some are great papers. 
but if you don't enjoy the act of reading papers, don't teach. <laughs> yeah, I love I love your perspective. You know, meaning comes through you. So there's nothing out there that will give you meaning than what you give to that thing, right? Yeah. Hmm. Great. Yeah. Now let's talk about money. So if people want sometimes, you know, to cons to to merge passion and making money, sometimes they might do something they find passionate. But they are not getting paid uh, well. How can we do both? Both doing what we love and get paid for it. What's your perspective on that? Uh, I mean, to what is getting paid well? Look, there are three kinds of people in the world. Mm -hmm. In my mind, one that are driven by purpose, yeah. and all their life they will only do things that give them purpose. They don't care about status, they don't care about money. That's not their priority, which doesn't mean that they actually don't want to earn a living or have a status, but they are more interested in purpose. Right? They're happy to live with, and they're happy. Mm -hmm. There are others who are driven by status in life. Mm -hmm. And they're always looking at the next level that they need to be. Mm. And that Them. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's and you know, and say, okay, I've now become this. I now like my next thing is to become that. And when I become that, I need to become this, and I need to become that. And the other ones that going up the ladder. And then there are third who are driven by money. Mm -hmm. They want to continue to make more and more money. So I don't know for you and me. You know, hundred earning. I pick a number, $30,000 a year, maybe more than enough. And for somebody else, earning a million dollars may not be enough at all. So how do you decide what is enough? You know, I live in a two-bedroom apartment, and I might say, I want a five-bedroom apartment. Why do you want a five-bedroom apartment? I don't know. There are just two of us, but <laughs> you want a five-bedroom. And there are people, right? People want to buy a big house because they want a big house. Once they've got a big house, they want to buy 10 cars. Once they've got 10 cars, they want to buy a plane. I, I mean, so what, it can just continue, right? So so what, so what I'm trying to say is this is, it, it can't be separated out. There are times you will be doing things where you feel you're underpaid. And there are times where you'll be doing things where you may be overpaid for what you're doing. If you feel that you are underpaid, what can you do? Again, it's all, it all depends on what is your motivator. If you're motivated by purpose, you'll be fine. <laughs> you're, you're, you are doing something good, but you feel that you're underpaid and you want to get more money. Let's say double of that money. What do you do? <laughs> well, okay, so you go, either you'll go ask for more money and you'll get it or you won't. You may lose your job. Mm -hmm. You may get more money and be asked to do something else, which you may hate. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, because somebody, hey, you know, okay, you want to earn a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know, that's the next level you go to, and at that next level, here are the five things you will have to do. Right, so suddenly it may be that, okay, now that you have done all of this individual contribution work, I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to manage a team. And then, you know, your job becomes just managing people. Managing people 
people means that you come in the morning and somebody is there standing at your door complaining, wow, this coffee is not hot enough and why <laughs> so-and-so said to you and you don't like it and, you know, I'm going to file a lawsuit against the company. And then you might suddenly say, shh, man, I was just much happier going and doing my little work. Yeah. <laughs> Careful for what you wish for, right? <laughs> so, so it all depends. You know, and for, for somebody else, that might be just fun. Hmm. I love hearing your complaint. Yeah, come and complain to me. I'll also complain. <laughs> we'll go out and smoke and complain our hearts up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, 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 I, I love that. You know, it's always putting things in perspective. What are you going to gain and what are you going to lose by getting more money or getting more meaning? And uh, yeah, it's a kind of trade-off, you know. Do you believe that you can get it all? Have your cake and eat it. Again, it's 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 your attitude, right? I mean, what does it actually mean that you that you have your cake and you also want to eat it? <laughs> it essentially means that are you fulfilled mm. in life? And the only way you can be fulfilled in life is if you decide you are fulfilled. Right? There is nothing anybody else can do to make you fulfilled. Look, you can be very I mean, I mean either you can be happy in your marriage or you can be unhappy in your marriage. So you just have to decide. Let's say that you decide you are unhappy. What do you do? I don't get out of it. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but what I'm saying is that if you're genuinely unhappy, mm. then you have to analyze and figure out what I will do to make myself happy. Mm-hmm. But if you are unhappy just because you are unhappy, then wherever you go, you will always be unhappy. If you're a person that never gets satisfied, then you'll never be satisfied. Which is a good thing or a bad thing. You know, that satisfaction may be that I'm hungry and I'm always hungry, so I'm always driven because I always want to do more. Or it can be a bad thing, which could be I'm just always looking for something else to do. If you're not applying to, you know, I might give you a job, you may say this is my, this is the greatest job, and in three months you may be totally dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Because now you want to do something else. Because you suddenly found somebody else doing something that you want to <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that's often happened yes okay so now let's talk about um you know the last segment of our conversation which is building a movement so i love the saying don't start a company don't uh, but start a movement but i'm not sure who says that so what do you think about that are you starting a movement or instead of a company i am doing what i'm enjoying doing i if it becomes a movement i I don't know. I mean, you know, nobody, nobody goes and starts a movement. I mean, look, people do things that they enjoy doing. It can either turn into a movement or it can turn into a company. You know, Steve Jobs never went and said that, you know, I want to. I mean, Steve wanted to create a great product. And he knew what a great product would be and just kept working on it. I mean, you know, again, I mean, you know, I think I, I, I mean, I, I think look, both are valuable. Mm-hmm. There are people who want to create movements and they become leaders and they rally people around them and bring about change. But they're, all of them are cut from the same cloth. If you start a company, you have to come up with a vision, you have to come up with an idea, you've got to sell that idea, you have to rally people around you, you have to you know, make 
you know, sometimes movements get started because of personal experiences. Sometimes it gets started, companies get started also because of a personal experience and you feel that there is a gap in the market. I think the more important is not to worry about whether you're starting a movement or whether you're starting a company, but it is whether you're doing something that will be of value to others. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yes. And then, which brings me to my next question is how do you want to be remembered for? I don't sit and think about how I'm going to be remembered. I don't care whether anybody remembers me or not. How how does it matter to me? I'm dead. (laughs) Yeah. Right, so I mean, I don't care whether people remember me. I care whether people want to interact with me or not. When you're alive, rather than when you're dead. Yeah, I mean, how do I care when I'm dead? (laughs) Right, so this notion of legacy is kind of useless. I mean, again, legacy is this self-important. I'm so self-important, I have to create a legacy. I don't want to leave this world, so I've got to put my thumb even when I'm dead. Now that's not, I mean, I mean, I think what is important is what are you doing today? Do people, do you have friends? Do people want to interact with you? Do people want to come and chat with you? Do people want to learn from you? Do people invite you? To- yeah, that's, that's not very good perspective, actually. Quite different from people's perspective, but I love that. So let's tell me, if you have to relieve again, knowing what you know now, what would you do and what would you no longer do? I don't think I'll change anything. Because this is what I enjoy. I'm not having a structured life. I've enjoyed this constant change and convolution that goes around me. I've enjoyed being in multiple fields because it's given me a rich perspective, diversity of friends, diversity of knowledge, diversity of people that I've been able to connect with. And because of this multifaceted work that I've done, I see things with multiple lenses. I mean, if I just continued to teach, that's architecture, that's all I would know. So, so I think, I'm not sure, I mean, you know, probably less angst, but that's kind of visual thinking, right? So now, um, you know, can you share some resources that our listeners should absolutely know about um, to do more meaningful work and live a more meaningful life? Uh, I, so, I mean, I'm just going to be very general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would like to end by saying, look, trust in yourself and be unreasonable. Be unreasonable. Be unreasonable. No person, I mean, it's only the people that are unreasonable that achieve change. Yeah. But by just being unreasonable doesn't mean that you are actually not listening and not learning. I, I mean, Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King or even Hitler, these are all unreasonable people. They were firmly convinced in their ideas, but we're continuing to learn and listen and change, both for good or bad. So so be unreasonable, but be a learner. Listen to why somebody has said no to you, and then go figure out how to turn that into a yes. And that happens if you are unreasonable. 
Yeah. And you are then a continuous learner. Mm-hmm. Because if you are not unreasonable, somebody will say no to you and you will give up. But if you are unreasonable and somebody says no to you, but if you are not a continuous learner, you will just be spinning your wheels. So be unreasonable, but be a continuous learner. That is... Don't worry about failure. Fail. One thing is guaranteed in life. The minute you are born, you will fail and you will die. <laughs> Those two things are guaranteed. <laughs> Yeah. No, because even as a kid, right? I mean, you cry and crawl, you fall down. You mm. cry. But you don't give up. Yeah, that's true. But so, so the notion that but we have kind of made all of us scared of failure because we believe that it's going to be a blot on us. So embrace failure. But again, if you're unreasonable and you're a continuous learner, you will run after you fail. And then think about why you are doing this. It's not for yourself. It's for the world. And that's where compassion. So that's what I would say. That's awesome, Akta. That was uh, really gems of wisdom that you have imparted to our listeners. And I thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. It was a really great pleasure. But before we leave, how can people reach you and learn more about what you do and your work? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter. My email is b at outlook.com. I am easily available. So you can, if you want to get hold of me, you'll figure out a way to get hold of me. Mm. Thank you so much. That's really awesome. Thank you very much, Francine, and enjoy Marrakesh. Yeah, thank you. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelli.com slash podcast, that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared by ACTA. Whilst you're there, leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you enjoy this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me and help me know that it is helping people out there. See you next week for a brand new episode. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.